We are on lesson seven of the winter quarter, 2022-2023. The title of the lesson is Ezra Leads a Public Confession. And the scriptures are Nehemiah chapter 8 through chapter 9, verse 37. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and the Holy Spirit uses it to cause us to grow. And uh, Israelites took time here to confess their sins, not only their personal sins, but their historic sins. And uh, we pray that we would learn from that also. In Jesus' name, amen. So the quarterly starts off, um, it bypasses chapter 8, basically. And what chapter 8 goes over is that they finished the wall in the sixth month, the month of Elul. And then they gathered in the seventh month for public scripture reading. This is chapter 8, verse 3. He, this is Ezra, read from it before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday. That's a long time. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So there was an issue. Now they'd lived in Babylon for 70 years, and they didn't know Hebrew anymore. Their Bible was in Hebrew. They knew Aramaic, I believe. Aramaic was the Babylonian language. I could be wrong about that. But anyway, so they had the same problem we have. Scriptures are written in another language from that which they knew. But it is not one that cannot be overcome, as we have found also. Then in verse 5 of chapter 8, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And that's why we do it too. When the scripture is read in our services, we stand up because this is God speaking and we want to honor him. And this is historically what happened, what the Israelites did also. So what we do does have precedence. Then in verse 7, it says, Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pelaiah, the Levites, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. So the Levites were teaching them. They were explaining them and probably translating for them as the law was being read. So they, you know, now... The Catholic Church will have services in Latin, which is not helpful if you don't know Latin. <laughs> you know, you have to know the language to understand. And then after this, they celebrated the Feast of Booths. And during that time, Ezra got up and read the Bible each day. So scripture reading daily with explanation of what it meant 
Okay, so that is chapter 8. Okay, so now we're starting the lesson. Section A, the Israelites gather to confess. That is verse, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Anybody want to read that piece? Okay, thank you. So yeah, in verse 1, now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dirt on them. So they're fasting, they're wearing sackcloth, which is very scratchy and coarse, and they had dirt on their head. And this was two days after the completion of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, remember, is a week-long feast, starting the 15th through the 22nd. And so the day passed, and then this is the next day. And back in chapter 8, when they were reading the Bible, in verses 8 and 9, it says, Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Why do you think they were weeping as Ezra read the law? Yeah, they had just come out of the punishment that the law said would happen back in Deuteronomy. And... Um, you know, it made them feel bad, although these were not the people who got them in there. They were probably their grandchildren because they'd been in captivity for 70 years. So um, so it made them cry. You read Deuteronomy 28, and if you think that's applying to you, that will make you cry. <laughs> that's what happened to them. So it was making them cry, but they told them, don't cry said, don't cry. You know, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength, you know, because the Lord will sustain you even through discipline, and he has sustained you through discipline. But now they, come, they return, and they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, and then they return now fasting, with fasting sackcloth and ashes, so my question to you, are these are things like this useful? Sackcloth and ashes. Fasting, sackcloth, ashes. Yeah, this is, you know, the, the Hebrews did this uh, many times. There are many, many examples of this in the scriptures, in the Old Testament scriptures, and um, they're not commanded by God. They're not commanded by God. They're a response. This is what is descriptive and not proscriptive. So this tells us what happened. It does not tell us what God says to do. What does God want us to do? Repent. He wants us to listen to him. Yeah. Yeah. What God wants us to, the confession is what he wants. He wants the confession. And that's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, 
Gosh, I'm blanking on it. That's terrible. Let me look it up so I don't mess it up. Thank you, thank you. Yes, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That what, that's what he wants. He, when we sin, he wants us to confess. He doesn't want us to hide it. Just confess it. He will forgive you, and that is what is necessary. But they were very serious, so they came fasting, sackcloth, ashes. Now, yeah, I think if you feel bad and you don't feel like eating and you want to fast and pray and confess to the Lord, okay. But no, it's Good. not that it's required. It's not required. It's not required. And it doesn't really change things. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it does change things. Um, unless you need that to change your behavior. Um, you know, I think what you need to do is keep your eye on the Lord. Really, that, that is what changes your behavior. So, so verse 2, the descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So they confessed both their sins and their father's sins, their ancestors' sins. So they separated themselves. We've talked about that before. We do also have a principle of separation as Christians, separation from the world. doesn't mean we leave the world, but it means we're not intimate with the world. So here they separated themselves in order to confess. This is what God told the Israelites when they came out of Egypt at Mount Sinai. He says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Israel is the only nation that God himself created. You know, the, all the other nations developed out of what happened at Babel. And when the languages were messed up, they had to separate into 70 different nations. Now I think we have 194-some nations. But originally it was 70 nations, 70 languages, and they were all contaminated by this mother-child cult that developed at Babel. So God decided he was going to make his own nation, and he started with Abraham. And he tells them, you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. The Israelites, Israel is God's people. And so they separated themselves because they understood this in verse 2. So how about Christians? I keep bringing this up because I want to beat it into our heads. I think it is not emphasized enough the principle of separation for Christians from the world. I think we don't take it seriously enough. 2 Corinthians 6.14, this is becoming very familiar to us. <laughs> Do not be bound together with unbelievers. 
For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? It's like Christ being in a partnership with the devil. Belial is another name for the devil. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. Yes, he is. And he can live through us if we allow him to. Um, and that's the whole idea, that he lives through us. So verse 3, while they stood in their place, so they're standing, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. That's a long service. Yeah, we should try that next week. And for another fourth of the day, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. So their church service lasted for half the day. Well, it wasn't a church service back then, but... Yeah, so half-day worship service, quarter-day Bible reading, and a quarter-day day of worship and confession. So the building of the wall had revived them. They were ready to start anew. So do we sometimes need to start anew in our Christian life? Yeah, when, when, what times do we need to start anew? When we sin. Exactly, when we sin. And that's why we have First John 1, 9, which you reminded me of. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we just give up. We just give up. We don't, it, we disengage. We don't, we're not in the Bible. We're not in fellowship. We're not in anything. And we just give up. And what happens when that happens? I know it happened to me. You become conformed to the world. You become conformed to the world when that happens, when you just give up. And sometimes the Lord needs a little ball-peen hammer to go, pink, you know, knock you in the head, and you're like, oh, you know, to restart, and then you restart. So, yeah, sometimes you do need to start a new, and so, you know, probably several times a day, we need to restart a new, we, you know, I know, I'll go along, and I'll say something, and I'll like, that was not the best way to do that, you know, and uh, <laughs> or something like that, you know. I'm going through this sale of my mother's house with, um, it's been very difficult. It may fall through because I've laid down the line and said, okay, that's it. Sign the thing or walk away. And, um, you know, it gets me worked up. And talking with my realtor and talking with things, sometimes I get off the phone and I think, I wonder if I need to repent about that. You know, maybe I need to repent about how I, I was talking to them. So anyway, pray for me for that. I want to be a good witness through this. So yeah, the Israelites are starting again because they're, they're encouraged, they're revived because their wall has been rebuilt in 52 days. 
Okay, section B, the Israelites confess God's faithfulness. And this is the end of verse 5, chapter 9 through verse 15. And I'll read that part. Okay, so verse 5, part B. This is the start of their prayer, as it were. Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out from Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, and the Amorite, of the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite, to give it to his descendants, and you have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. Then you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly toward them and made a name for yourself as it is this day. You divided the sea before them, so they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground, and their pursuers you hurled into the depths like a stone into raging waters. And with a pillar of cloud you led them by day, and with a pillar of fire by night, to light for them the way in which they were to go. Then you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. You gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. So you made known to them your holy Sabbath and laid down for them commandments, statutes, and law through your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven for them for their hunger. You brought forth water from a rock for them for their thirst. And you told them to enter in order to possess the land which you swore to give them. Okay, so what is this that they're, they're praying? They're, what is their confession? Yeah, the, what is this I just read? It sounds like the history of Israel, doesn't it? They're, they're reciting their history, basically from creation, the time of creation, and verse 13 as of the time when the Lord told them to go in and take the land. So they're reciting their history. And uh, what a history it was, right? I mean, what a history. So verse 5, O may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. That is the purpose of creation right there. Lord, the Lord made creation for his glory. So when you wonder why you're here, that is why. That is why you're here. I, for many years, wondered why, what I was doing here. It wasn't until I was 36 that I learned the reason, and that is why. And that is what all of creation is for. 
So then in verse 6, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. So there is... Uh, Christians have a different worldview from the world. We're learning this in our Interlot series, which is very good, that there is a difference between the creator and the creation. All of the other worldviews, all of the secular worldviews, all of the other religions, etc., etc., do not see a difference between the creation and the creator. You know, like the Hindus say, you know, we're all one. We're all God, part of God, you know, and you can rise to the level of God, you know, if you're good enough, stuff like that. Um, let me tell you something. You will never, ever, ever be God. Never. <laughs> there is not a way to do it. It is impossible to do it because he is the creator. We are the creatures. And even in the eternal state, when we are perfect, when we have no sin, when we have resurrected bodies, and we are perfect, we are dependent on the Creator for our existence. Because in the eternal state, He provides the tree of life. That it doesn't bear once a year, it bears fruit every month. I mean, we have a great honor, you know, to be made in God's image. But it may, sometimes it makes us feel all high and mighty. We're not that high and mighty. You know, he made us. <laughs> so so um, that I think that is so important. That we can never be God, you know. And uh, he made us, and we should appreciate that and all the blessings that he gives us with that. Yeah, no, I mean, if you think about what he's doing, it is so difficult what he's doing because he, he created, you know, not just making the universe. That's pretty difficult too. But with us, what he's doing, you know, he made us with his image, which uh, includes volition, choice, intellect, things like that. And he made us with the ability to disagree with him. And he will not force us if we disagree with him, even though that is evil to disagree with him. That is the definition of evil, disagreeing with God. And so, um, and all through this, this whole creation, he is persuading. Yeah, he's, he's persuading. Yeah, he's... Demonstrating love to us, he's demonstrating grace to us, and he's persuading because he will not force his image bearers. Two or three Yeah, so I mean, just think about the difficulty he's doing. Of course, he is God, <laughs> but but it this is a this is a hard project that he's working on, and it is gonna you know it's pretty glorious, and it's gonna end up just beyond imagination. So verse 7, he says, You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out from Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. So that is the point at which the Hebrew nation was born. Right there. 
Um, and that was after Babel, after the failure at Babel. Then verse 8, you found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, of the Amorite, of the blah, 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 of the, you know, termite, of the whatever, to give it to his descendants, and you have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. Note, note the first phrase there, you found his heart faithful. He didn't make his heart faithful, did he? Um, and there is a, a flaming discussion that's been going on for hundreds, maybe thousands of years in Christianity about this issue of election versus free will. The Lord does influence people. He does not make their choice for them. He influenced Pharaoh. After Pharaoh had chosen himself, I believe it was seven times, to reject. He rejected seven times, and then the Lord hardened him to confirm his rejection that he had already made, I think three times, so that the judgment came. But he did it himself. It was his choice, and the Lord confirmed his choice. That is, that is why it is important when you hear the gospel to accept it right away. Today is the day of salvation. If you reject it, and you go for a while, you hear it again, you reject it. You go for a while, you hear it again, you reject it. Eventually, the Lord will confirm your rejection. And you'll go to hell. Okay? Because what is the only unpardonable sin? It's death without the Savior. If you die without the Savior, you will go to hell. That is the only thing that will, that is unpardonable. Um, unbelief. Unbelief in the Savior. When you go through your life in unbelief and you never change your mind, he will confirm that. He said, okay, you are my image bearer. I made you in my image. You have chosen. And I have persuaded you all your life, all your life, the Holy Spirit has been convicting, convicting, convicting. That is what the Holy Spirit does to the unbelieving world. Every single unbeliever is convicted by the Holy Spirit, convicted. They're in sin. Why? Because they don't believe in Jesus. They're in sin. Why? Because they don't believe in Jesus. They're in sin. Why? Because they know that their righteousness is not adequate. The righteousness that he has is adequate, and they know it because it's convicting them. Yeah, that's right. And the Lord does not hold them responsible. You won't get sent to hell for killing someone. You will not get sent to hell for committing suicide. You will not get sent to hell for having a foul mouth. You will not get sent to hell for cheating on your wife. Any of those things. You get sent to hell for unbelief. That is it. The only thing that sends you to hell is if you fail to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Because in him, I'm making myself cry now. Everything is forgiven. Yes, I know. Years, years of this. In him, everything is forgiven. 
So if you don't grab that, your sins count against you. And that is that is not what sends you to hell. What sends you to hell is unbelief. But each sin will be judged at the great white throne to determine your degree of eternal punishment. Mahatma Gandhi will not be punished eternally the same way Adolf Hitler will be punished. Adolf Hitler will suffer more for eternity than Mahatma Gandhi will suffer in eternity. They will both suffer, but one will be much worse. Judas Iscariot will suffer intensely, so intensely that Jesus said that it would have been better if he had not been born because he will suffer in eternity intensely because he allowed Satan to, you know, he didn't allow it. Satan entered him, was possessed by Satan, and betrayed Jesus. He felt horrible and committed suicide. And did that, and he did it, I'm sure, to end his suffering. And it just massively intensified his suffering when he did that. No, you can, as long as you're alive. Well, another what that might be, though, is the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that person may become converted after that. Conviction of the Holy Spirit makes you angry. You, it makes you angry because you're like, you know. And, you know, if someone, you preach the gospel to them and they get very angry, that's probably a good sign. That means the Holy Spirit is convicting them and they may be converted. Paul was like that, right? The Apostle Paul was like that. He wanted to kill all the church people. But he thought he was doing God a favor. Yeah, he thought he was doing God a favor. Getting rid of these maniacs. So anyway, so anyway, we want to be like Abraham. It says, you found his heart faithful before you. You know, Abraham, he, he came. Of course, God appeared to him. God spoke to him. So he's like, whoa, you know. But um, Abraham, the Lord told him to do something. He said, yes, okay. <laughs> you know, that's how we want to be. So then verse 9 you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You ever wonder why the the Lord put uh, the small nation into Egypt? Jacob and his family. Why did why did the Lord put them into Egypt? You ever wonder about that? Why do you think that He did that? Yeah. So it seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? It doesn't seem like it would make sense. They were becoming like the world. You know, if you look back in the the later parts of Genesis, um, you know, the, the passage about Judah, he married a Canaanite woman. He had two sons. One was found evil, and the Lord killed him. His name was Ur. Then Onan was supposed to marry his brother's wife he didn't want to raise a family with wife so he didn't he pulled out as it were of the transaction and uh so the lord killed him and so jude and then judah's pagan wife died and judah ran into what he thought was a temple prostitute and he had relations with her and that's how the line of the messiah was continued 
through that. And then you read about Genesis 34. One of Jacob's daughters was raped. And the uh, brothers and the guy who raped her wanted to marry her. And the brothers deceived them and said, well, you'll have to circumcise yourselves or we won't allow this, other than we'll allow it. So when so they did that, he, they waited for three days, and they went in and slaughtered them all. And they took their families, and they took all their goods from a town. <laughs> that is why they went to Egypt. That sort of thing. They went to Egypt because they were turning into like the others. Egypt despised the Hebrews. They were prejudiced against them. Egyptians were prejudiced against them. They didn't want to be around them. They were segregated from them and kept separate. And uh, so I wrote some verses down here. Oh, no, that's for the, that's for the next verse. So verses 10 through 13. And now... The Lord is bringing them out of Egypt. Then you perform signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly toward them and made a name for yourself as it is this day. You divided the sea before them, so they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground, and their pursuers you hurled into the depths like a stone into raging waters. And with a pillar of cloud you led them by day, and with a pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. Then you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. You gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. Okay, I've written down here 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23, so let me see why I did that, because I did not tell myself why I did that. This is Paul speaking, and he talks about the gospel and how it's foolish to people. And he says, For indeed Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. Now you can see why the Jews ask for signs, can't you? By reading this history. Their history is full of signs. Full of signs. The ten plagues the parting of the Red Sea, the Lord coming down on Mount Sinai. I mean, it's supernatural. Their history is supernatural, filled with supernatural events. And so they look for signs. And even when Jesus was giving them signs, they wanted more signs. <laughs> you know, show us a sign. You know, I mean, he does something super, obviously supernatural. And then immediately after, they say, so, show us a sign <laughs> so that we'll believe you. The Jews want signs so um okay so then verse 14 so you made known to them your holy sabbath which is one of the laws he gave to them at sinai and laid down for them commandments statutes and law through your servant moses so the law mosaic law is unique to israel including the sabbath and why do i say that it's in Psalm 148. No, Psalm 147, verses 19 and 20. Yeah. 
he declared his words to Jacob. That's Israel, right? His statutes and his ordinances to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his ordinances, they have not known them. Praise the Lord. The Mosaic Law was for Israel. It was not for the Gentile nations. It was not for us. We are Gentiles. Do you agree? So the the law was for Israel alone. The Sabbath observance is for Israel alone. And that is just a you know a point I'm I'm making here. Because the church doesn't have a Sabbath. We are to worship the Lord. We are to meet together to worship frequently. And we do it on Sunday because the early church did it on Sunday. Why do they do it on Sunday? Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. It's not the law of Moses. Okay, we could do it on Tuesday. Actually, here in January, we have been meeting on Tuesday. Okay, but um, our command is to meet together and not forsake the meeting of ourselves together. A, a day is not given for to do that. There can also be works. Mm-hmm. When we trust okay. in the Lord. Right, we rest in the Lord. Once you're saved, yeah, once you're saved, you're able to be in a permanent Sabbath because you rest in the Lord. You depend on him. You only do what he tells you to do, you know. And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, yeah, you. once we're saved, we have the ability. Now, many people don't take advantage of that because they don't listen. <laughs> and when you don't listen, then what happens? Your father disciplines you. That's what happens. And so you, you, you forsake that Sabbath rest that is available. Okay, so we're in section C now. Anything more on that part? A lot of good history there. Section C is Ezra confesses Israel's historic rebelliousness. So up to this point, they've just said what God has done for them. This is verses 16 through 27. Now we're going to hear how Israel responded to what God did for them. So somebody want to read that, verses 16 through 27? Thank you, Monica. So, yeah, so that is their response. So verses 16 through 18, they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. This is soon after Sinai. Now, this is in the wilderness. They, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen, did not remember your wondrous deeds, which you had performed them, all these miracles. They became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Remember that? That was in Exodus. But you were a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abandoning loving kindness. You did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God. So this was soon after Sinai. And, um, you know, after the calf incident, Lord said, that's it, man. He was testing Moses there. He wasn't going to forsake them. 
Why? Because he had the Abrahamic covenant. He cannot lie. He's not going to forsake them. He's testing Moses, and Moses prays for the Israelites that he would not forsake them. Because he told them, I'm going to wipe them out, and I'll start with you. So, um, but he forgave them that. And then verse 19 you in your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. This is fascinating to me. The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. So they camped the pillar of fire at night. Pillar of cloud in the day was always there. And they stayed with it. And it would stay in a place for a while. And when it moved, then they would go. And it would stop, and they would stop, and it would move, and they would go. Now, does the Lord can the Lord work like that in our lives today? I think he can. Yes, I think he does. I think, you know, because their location was determined by what God wanted. All those years in the wilderness... And I think that we can, if we are connected to him, we, we can do that too. We wait until he guides us. You know, the Lord will guide us. He guides us through the circumstances in our lives. He guides us, and if we're talking to him, you know, he will guide us in where we should be and what, you know. Sometimes it's not what we think. Yeah, you need to be in communication with him for this to happen. Yeah, he will block you. He will block you in different places if he doesn't want you to go there. So you should listen to that. He'll block you. Say, okay, Lord, show me what to do, where to go. Yeah, he will guide you, and that is the way of blessing. So on page 62 in the quarterly, it says this. Throughout this miraculous, pilgrim, throughout this miraculous pilgrimage, they lacked nothing and appreciated nothing. <laughs> They lacked nothing, and they appreciated nothing, and we do not want to be like that. Okay? And sometimes we can be that way. Yeah, yeah, and water, and that their clothes never wore out for 40 years. They didn't have to buy new shoes. Their feet were fine. They were wandering around in the desert. Nothing ever happened to them. They were protected. Yeah, So, but they didn't appreciate it. Verses 22 to 25 is the conquest of the land, including Sihon and Og, who are east of the Jordan. So they did that. Then verses 26 and 27 are the cycle of the judges. So God's chosen nation was filled with failure. Why is that? The sin nature. Exactly. This will not be perfect until the sin nature is eradicated. And that will happen in your resurrection. The resurrection of the believer, sin nature will be eradicated. Now we are able to be more and more like Jesus all the time. We cannot be sinless because our sin nature is not eradicated. It is still there. And we cannot get rid of it totally. Let me read this last section so that... We're complete. You know, we can't talk about it as much. 
Verse 28, that as soon as they had rest, they did evil again before you. Therefore, you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. When they cried again to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you rescued them according to your compassion and admonished them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances, by which a man, if a man observes them, he shall live. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not listen. However, you bore with them for many years and admonished them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. That's their captivity. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness, do not let all the hardship seem insignificant before you, which has come upon us. So now they bring it down to their day which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. However, you are just in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. For our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your admonitions with which you have admonished them. But they in their own kingdom, with your great goodness, which you gave them, with the broad and rich land which you set before them, did not serve you or turn from their evil deeds. Behold, we are slaves today. And as to the land which you gave to our fathers to eat of its fruit and its bounty, behold, we are slaves in it. Its abundant produce is for the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please. So we are in great distress. So that's the end of the, you know, so they made a petition for relief under the Persian rule. And, um, you know, so what this is, is a covenant. They're, next week we'll talk about it. They're going to sign a covenant based on this to God, a covenant from Israel to God. Now, the United States, the pilgrims made a covenant between themselves and God when they came to this country. So as a covenant from man to God, as good as a covenant from God to man. No, it is not. Did this covenant last that they made? No. It doesn't, yeah. It's a promise. Yeah, when God makes a covenant, he never dies. He can't lie. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. When God makes a covenant with you or a promise to you, that's gold. When you make a promise to God, that's as good as your willpower. <laughs> you know, if I don't forget or if I don't, if it's not too hard or something like that, you know. I mean, the pilgrims, it was wonderful. They wanted to found this land to promote the Christian religion and to evangelize this continent. And we've been blessed by that. But that covenant is totally dissipated now. It's gone. So anyway, Lord, we thank you for this uh, example, and uh, we pray that you would help us to uh, cling to you and rest in you, as uh, Alex mentioned, that we may have, our whole lives will be a Sabbath of rest. In Jesus' name, amen. So God's